Welcome to Neither Jew Nor Greek, a podcast where we engage in scholarly and scriptural conversations about the cultural divisions and the community of Christ followers, which prevent us from walking together in unity. I am your host, Amatayo Banjo, and you are invited to come and dine. Hi, thank you so much for being here. This is Neither Jew Nor Greek, a podcast where we talk about the uh, relationship between race and faith and how it impacts the greater Christian mission that we would become one. Um, I am here, I'm your host, um, Dr. Amatayo Banjo, and I am here with Dr. Onia Akwabi, who is a sociologist, postdoctoral fellow at Rice University's Religion and Public Life Program. She's also an incoming assistant professor at the University of Cincinnati. Um, in addition, she's a teaching pastor at 21st Century Church of Cincinnati, Ohio. Her work interrogates how diverse religious and secular organizations affect racial inequality. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So today I wanted us to be able to talk about defining and understanding a multicultural church and some of the tensions that may come up within this goal. I've heard this term a lot, multicultural church. Um, and I would like to ask you first, how would you define a multicultural church? That's a fantastic question because honestly, every church is a multicultural church. Um, if you do th think about the cultural differences between generations, if you've got more than gen one generation involved in your church, you already have a multicultural church. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes when people use the term multicultural church, they're actually talking about what uh, sociologists refer to as a multiracial church, where people from different uh, racial backgrounds come together to worship as one. And there's been a lot of work uh, really over the past 20 years to figure out how does that best happen? And uh, in what ways can that be helpful or harmful for racial equality? Um, there's also the sense of a multi-ethnic church, uh, which again is a different term. The difference is that ethnicity really brings into issues of heritage and, and background. Whereas when you start to talk about a multi-racial church, you really have to start dealing with issues of power and racial hierarchy that are involved. It goes beyond culture. It goes beyond ethnic traditions and heritage. And it starts to talk about our different positions in society and how those affect the way we interact with in the church. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that um, aspect of power because I've been in conversation with other believers who feel that, I mean, the multicultural or multiracial church is essentially a white church mm -hmm. where white Americans or Western culture principles and values are privileged. In your work, what have you observed about some of these potential issues in multiracial churches? Yes, well, I've, I've actually observed exactly that. Uh, Dr. Corey Edwards did a study a few years back where she found that multiracial churches tend to adhere to uh, the makeup of white churches in terms of the way that they do things, the way that they operate, the things that they talk about, and et cetera. And so we've gotten to a point where this uh, there are hidden assumptions uh, of whiteness within the way that multiracial churches operate. And so what this causes is it causes people from different backgrounds to feel left out in these places to be excluded. Uh, recent work uh, from Barna showed that um, Black folks in particular 
were more likely to feel like they didn't belong in these multiracial churches, were more likely to feel like they didn't have pathways into leadership, um, were more likely to feel like um, the church wasn't uh, for them. I found some similar things in uh, my studies actually in a completely different context. Uh, we looked at multiracial churches in Australia and found that folks who were non-Anglo both did not hold as many leadership positions as others and felt like even when they held leadership positions that they weren't the kind of people who were supposed to hold those leadership positions. And so these disparities between people within multiracial churches has led a lot of us to conclude the way that we've designed multiracial churches to date is not uh, the biblical design, as you mentioned in the beginning, of us becoming one. Uh, it's us remaining many, uh, but worshiping in the same place together. The work of equity is required for all of us to become one, and that includes us having equal concern for one another, us having concern for the issues that concern one another, for uh, mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Unfortunately, we just don't see quite enough of that in the multiracial church today. Yeah. Um, what do you think multicultural or multiracial churches um, try to do to... Yeah. What, what are some efforts that they try to make, but it actually doesn't really work? It's actually counterproductive. Yeah, that's a really good question. So when we look at diverse organizations writ large, because I study um, other sorts of organizations, and I also see similar things with them, mm -hmm. um, the most common sorts of interventions that are put in place are diversity trainings. Um, these are, are, you know, cognitive attempts to uh, allow people to know, okay, this is where, where people from other backgrounds are coming from, or the, here is some history um, that exists. Um, but we find that when we have these, these trainings put in place, unless, again, they deal with the, the idea that we have fundamentally different experiences in society, um, what they do is they tend to paper over um, inequalities. And there's a lot of research that suggests, uh, my own research does as well, that the idea of diversity in general uh, tends to paper over racial inequality. Um, when you're talking about diversity, you're talking about a, a group of people being together, uh, being included to, to some level. And that gives people the idea that us coming into this place has resulted in us all being on the same level. So it makes inclusion the solution to inequality. What it fails to recognize is the fact that we still face uh, by race dramatically different life chances in any number of areas. Uh, as, as you well know, you could, you could name literally any area uh, and we could see racial disparities and life chances in that area from health to wealth to interest rates charged to how you're treated to the level of respect you get in communications, all of it um, still has racial disparities. So when you come together as a, a multiracial church and you begin to tout diversity and you say, we're all together and we're all God's children and, and you know we're all the same on the inside, that minimizes the fact that we have a very different experience of life on a, a day in and day out basis. Mm -hmm. So the things that churches do, again, diversity training or theological messages that uh, emphasize our, our oneness in Christ, which is important, um, but without the attention to uh, racial inequality, it leads congregants to feel that racial inequality doesn't exist anymore. 
that it's done away with. And so when evidence of that inequality pops up, they're likely to deny it, which leads to a rift in relationship between the members of those multiracial churches. Yeah. I'm thinking about your contribution um, in our book, Contemporary Christian Culture, Messages, Missions, and Dilemmas. I think you mentioned um, how some churches try to incorporate either churches or even within the Christian music industry, try to incorporate um, music um, within the church, but doesn't include culture and all the ethnicity. I think you mentioned Chris Tomlin's How Great Is Our God. Can you speak more to this? And and one of the reasons I thought about this is I was in conversation with someone who mentioned um, Hillsong and how some of these groups, they go to Africa uh, or you know other countries, and they are they continue to play their music with their Western or acoustic instruments. And um, the person was saying that they should probably include instruments that they use. Um, so anyway, I'd like to hear your your thoughts about this. Yeah. So uh, you know, not to pick on on Chris Tomlin, I'm yeah. sure great guy, but um, there was a, a version of of how great is our God and and. Everybody was tremendously excited about it. It included, it went from English to Spanish, to German, to Hindu, to, uh, you know, uh, Swahili, you name it. There, The language was included in there. Um, and that often paints the picture of what we try to do. And, and that would be more the context of a, a multi-ethnic church trying to incorporate different ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it denies is the idea that this is still a, a song um, that is a, a CCM, which is a, a mostly white uh, contemporary Christian music style done by a white uh, CCM artist um, that does not incorporate these other ethnic groups, these other cultures beyond just simply um, using their language and applying that to a song. And that is representative of the broader um, issue in in global Christianity where um, white Western Christianity has been exported uh, to a lot of places uh, without uh, mindfulness to their uh, cultural context and to um, the idea of white supremacy globally, um, which again brings into to play these power dynamics. And so what you get is discipleship into Christianity starts to also mean discipleship into white Western ways of thinking, mm-hmm. um, which we know are not uh, in line with the communal and very Eastern uh, ways of thinking in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I, I can remember somebody uh, came and, and gave a, a talk and they had been in a in a, a city in India and they had seen believers uh, singing a song and they were um, singing instead of I am a friend of God, which was a popular song for a while. They were singing, I am afraid of God. He calls me Fred. (laughs) 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 That's just, you know, I I hear it. This is what I'm supposed to sing. I'm gonna sing it to the best of my ability. That again, just shows that huge disconnect. It's like, no, I'm not afraid of God. He doesn't call me Fred. where are those ideas of God right. being my friend that come from within that cultural context, that come from that ethnic group, that come from that national group? Because the more we um, are, you know, as, as, as people go out and they are 
we're embodied and we have our culture, we have all of these things with us. But if we approach other folks as though we are bringing something and they are also bringing something and we get the best combination of those things, that's what it could look like. Instead, what it looks like is, is an imitation of something that we haven't even interrogated whether or not it should be imitated. And so I suggest a few things in that that chapter. Um, One, as I've already said, um, let's talk about the disparities. Let's talk about, um, you know, the differences in wealth uh, between um, not just peoples, but nations and how they were historically created and how they are are continually maintained. Mm -hmm. Um, You cannot, um, as a a white Westerner or as a Westerner period, um, go to... um, you know, other countries and not recognize uh, the difference in power and how that is going to make your your words uh, more weighty than perhaps they should be. Um, if you do that, you risk, um, you know, idolizing your culture instead of uh, bringing people closer to God. Yeah. The second thing I recommend is, is to focus on, on what is called a substantive diversity instead of numerical diversity. If it's just about having numbers, if it's just about having a face, if it's just about using a language, then you don't care about any of these these things because you're putting on a show that's probably primarily for white folks. Mm -hmm. And if that's what you're interested in, then that's what you've done. But if you're really interested in including the, the cultures and perspectives of other people, then it has to go deeper than that. You have to attend to whether or not they feel included. And that's the measure, not whether or not you think that you've included them, but whether right. they feel included. Right. And there's easy ways to um, test that and um, to look at that. And then the other thing that I say is, is just to begin to articulate whiteness. Um, a lot of times white normativity um, is hidden uh, within all of these things. As I mentioned, you know, we talk about CCM, but we don't talk about the fact that it, it has been a traditionally um, white music form. Mm-hmm. And so when we start to articulate those things, we start to see, okay, there, there is an overwhelming majority of energy being focused here. How do we spread some of that energy out and really recognize um, that we are not bringing people together into to one culture? We're bringing people towards a, a more mm-hmm. uh, traditionally white culture. How do, we, how do we not do that? How do we come together and really build something new instead of bringing people of color into a, a culture that already exists? So many more questions. Um, <laughs> I wanna backtrack a little bit because your work looks at multiculturalism in organizations, correct? Not just churches. That's correct. So is there anything distinct about the church and how multiculturalism plays out compared to any other organization or is it just all the same thing with regards to how people people within organizations well this is this is a tough one because it's actually a little bit worse in the church than it is in other places and i say this in reference to uh, my most recent work it looks at the experiences of employees of color in churches and uh, universities and then corporate workplaces And what I find is that these employees of color feel um, are subject to heavy work burdens, um, having to show a face of diversity, um, but not really being listened to, that they experience their identities being subjugated. Um, They are expected to fit this mold. You know, if you're the the Black pastor, why aren't you wearing the coolest sneakers on Sunday? Because Mm. that's the image we need to portray. 
Um, and then the, they also experience threatened legitimacy in that they are um, accused of being there for the sake of, of diversity. And so that causes them to doubt their, um, uh, their uh, qualifications and the, the ability with which they do their work. And so I find that across all three organization types. But what I find with churches is those three things sting and they hurt a bit more. Because in churches, you're, um, it's more than just the place you go. It's more than just a social club. It's more than just a workplace for my identity, for my uh, employees. Your identity is connected to the church that you're in. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in a place of worship where people are um, called and asked not just to be family, but to be one body, and you find... I, I feel like I stick out like a sore thumb on this body. That's going to have a deeper effect for your, your psychological well-being and your uh, family health than when it happens in any other place, which is why I think the church is so important. And I always include the church in my research because the church is a place where, where this has to be gotten right. And if it is gotten right, it will affect the rest of society. Yeah, that, that is the hope, I think, the, the mission um, to be able to, I mean, the scriptures say that they will know us by the way we love one another. Absolutely. Um, so I'm thinking about Mark Orby's work on co-cultural theory, where he describes how marginalized people within a predominantly white institution communicate with dominant members. And he mentions certain behaviors like testing another sincerity or somewhat keeping your distance or basically learning how to communicate or, or, or speak white um, uh, with a different culture as a leader, um, and not just a sociologist, but as a leader, in what ways have you observed how minoritized communities try to communicate in this in a multicultural or multiracial environment within churches? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think, honestly, this is an area in which I've seen some change since uh, 2020. Um, we have been experiencing COVID-19, uh, which drove us all into our homes and into quarantine for a bit. Um, we also experienced the calls for racial justice that happened after George Floyd's murder. And the combination of those two have, have had a very particular effect on, on minoritized folks in my um, perspective, in that people are kind of like, you know what, I don't have to deal with this anymore. <laughs> uh, people were in their houses and they were good. And, and so deciding who and where they want to communicate um, has been a, a new level of freedom um, that, that I have seen. So how that comes into play with the, this co-cultural theory, it, it becomes a, a keeping distance strategy. So um, people have been more intentional about their circles of friendship and deciding who is going to be in that inner circle and who is not going to be in that inner circle. And if you're not in that inner circle, you don't um, get communicated with um, about the same sorts of things that people in the inner circle do. I think that's always been true, but I think it's increasingly true mm -hmm. since people have had a bit of a, a, a respite from each other and have decided what's important to them. I've also seen a movement towards, you know, deciding I'm not sure how many of these multi-ethnic, multi-racial spaces I want to be in anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, you kind of see that with the, the research about, you know, only 3% of black people wanting to go back into the office versus 21% of white people. Um, people are just like, I don't, if I don't need to be in this space and if the space is not feeding me anymore, I'm not going to be in it anymore. 
And so I, I have seen a lot of that, not just in my research, but in my personal relationships where, where people are, are saying, you know, I believe in uh, multiracial churches. I believe that they're biblical. I believe that's what we should do. Um, but the way that we've been doing it is not going to work for me anymore. So let me go off and continue to build what I've been building. And when we get to a point where we can interact uh, uh, fruitfully, then maybe I'll come back to this. So are you saying that some of the people that you engage with are willing to come back? Because uh, I know some people who are like, this is impossible. The mission of a multiracial church is impossible as long as white supremacy exists, privilege, power. Um, so I'm not even sure which, where, which, there's so many questions within this one thought. Um, I, I guess, I guess part of me is wondering, do you think there's possibility of restoration? And we, ha we have to believe that, <laughs> I guess, but uh, theoretically, when we think about all, when we think about your sociological framework, uh, is it possible for a multiracial church to exist and to thrive? Yeah, I have to believe that that's true. Like, just like you said, you know, um, and we have to believe that's true because, you know, the, the word says it is right. Um, that Jesus prayed for us to be one and Jesus has never made an idle prayer. And so, mm -hmm. um, despite the fact that the church is, is not seemingly is further behind, uh, secular organizations in terms of being able to do this correctly. I, I still believe that it is the only place where it is really possible because we have the Holy spirit right? and, um, you know, the power of the Holy spirit will make you do things that don't make sense. Otherwise, right. Right. It doesn't make sense for people to lay down their power and their privilege for the sake mm -hmm. of others. Um, but that is what Christianity calls us to do. And if we answer that calling, um, that makes it possible. There's, there's also, you know, an answer to this, right? In scripture, I often um, talk about the um, 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 25 passage. It's one of my, my very favorites um, because it says right there, if you're looking for how do we not have any division in the church, it says right there, do this and there will be no division in the church. <laughs> it's right. It's in the book. It's, it's really easy to find. <laughs> but the thing that it says before it is that you have to give greater honor to the parts of the body that have lacked honor. Mm. That means if somebody has been marginalized in society, when they come into the church, you need to reverse that. You need to give them greater honor. And again, it says not so that, you know, uh, it, you can just have reverse racism, air quotes here, uh, or so that you can uh, have a different group lording it over others. They say that so that you can have equality. Hmm. That's what's required because we are so conditioned by everything that goes on in our society that we just automatically privilege the people who are already privileged, even when we come mm -hmm. into church, mm -hmm. if we're not thoughtful about it. But when we get to the idea of we're going to give greater honor to the parts that mm -hmm. have lacked it, now we get to the point where we actually start to treat everybody with equity. And that that's what's required. And it says that's what's going to prevent division in the church. We as the church have been unwilling to do this. We have been willing to bring um, folks of color into already existing um, churches and leadership structure. Uh, you know, if, if we've been willing to bring people from, from the global South into already existing uh, churches and leadership structures, but we have not been willing to give those folks greater honor. Um, and until we do that, 
it will remain impossible. The word is so delicious. Um, <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> and I, I'm curious whether or not there are any theories that you're familiar with um, that sort of corroborate this wisdom. It, do any of our theories sort of lay out how to lay down our power and privilege for the greater good, for the purposes of building uh, unity or harmony? Or do any come any that you can think of come close to giving us or prescribing for us how to do the work of bringing people together across racial differences, ethnic differences? Yeah, I think that's a, a really excellent question. And you know, I honestly can't think of one um, because honestly, a lot of them just they, they basically say the same thing that you said before, that this will not happen, that mm. people in power will use their power to remain in power, um, mm. whether they think that they're doing it or not. And so the idea that people would, con and that might be why the, only the church can do it, the idea that people would consciously and intentionally lay down their power and privilege repeatedly and en masse, I don't believe that we have seen that. <laughs> and I don't believe that there's a theory that protects it, pr predicts that it would happen. I think, I mean, I, I agree with you in that I can't think of anything. Um, it could be in other disciplines, um, but I can't think of anything mm -hmm. that speaks to the, you know, laying down yourself or humbling yourself. Mm -hmm. But um, ja um, Ronald Jackson's cultural contracts theory, mm -hmm. and he talks about sort of these negotiations we make uh, unconsciously um and some people i mean there are many negotiation theories um ting to has one as well where basically they we talk about how you go in and you sort of assume uh you're not going to change i'm not going to change this is how it's going to be um or there's another um approach where we have a, a shared respect and validation of each other's differences um and with Jackson's cultural contract theory, he says, maybe there's even a set of mutually agreed upon requirements. Mm -hmm. um, so as an organization, what would be required of intercultural members within uh, or racial members within a multiracial church? Like what would be some requirements that we could sort of articulate that need to exist in order to establish some kind of mutual respect for one another? Yeah, so I, I think, again, it goes back to, to giving greater honor to the parts that have lacked it. So how do I um, set up listening to one another? But I'm going to listen in such a way that where there is a, um, a difference, because we're coming from these different uh, worldviews, I'm going to listen closer and give more voice to the worldview that is most marginalized, A, because it's gonna be closer to the gospel anyway, and B, because it is less likely to be heard in that space. And so I think that's where it, it could start to work, where if, if you are co-creating, it, it does go down to co-creating, but co-creating with a greater ear towards folks who have been marginalized, um, then perhaps that you could create a space where uh, multiple people could feel comfortable in there. I think the other thing that is important too is, is just assessment. Um, you know, the, the people that I talk to in, in multiracial churches and the pains that they have felt, these things are knowable, right? By the people in their churches. They, they could know these things are going on. They could 
fix them. Um, but they honestly haven't asked. They have not set up any way of knowing, you know, how are the people in the space, especially people who are not in the majority feeling about being in the space. Mm-hmm. And because they don't know, they don't do anything about it or they choose not to because it's, it's more comfortable not to. Um, and so that idea of, of co-creation, greater ear towards the marginalized, actually listening to and getting the, the perspectives of the people that are present. Um, and then, you know, deciding what jointly are we here to do? That's another uh, thing, you know, you would think churches are all here to do the same thing, but they're, they're not. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so there is the idea in scripture about, um, you know, church being called out to build the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. to build a place that looks like Jesus is in charge mm-hmm. in every aspect of life. And so if you're going to have a church that is, is co-creating something across cultures, you can't, um, and this kind of runs counter to some of the prevailing wisdom. Um, you can't just say, we're going to focus on Jesus and nothing else, mm-hmm. um, thinking that that is going to be your commonality because Jesus focused on all of the things Jesus mm-hmm. focused on the kingdom of God. And so we must also, we must also include things beyond just what happens within the four walls of the church. Um, if we have a hope of creating uh, intercultural cross-racial relationships that really work. Earlier, you did talk about um, moving away from our culture and moving towards um, the kingdom. And I found myself wondering, maybe we don't know what that looks like. What does it look like to have our racial identities, yeah. but move towards creating together a kingdom culture? Yeah. What, what do you think that looks like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say in a kingdom culture, everyone has the opportunity to thrive. And this goes, you know, beyond race, it goes for gender, it goes mm-hmm. for, um, you know, even your, your functions within the body of Christ, and whether you're, you're great at, at one thing or another. Um, it, it creates a place where everyone has the opportunity to thrive, where it goes back to what it was in, in Genesis 1, is the model for the kingdom of God. Um, you have male and female. Mm-hmm. Um, you only had one race, but in the same way you had every race and every ethnicity that would ever exist um, present in that place. And they were created in the image of God um, together. And they had work and were told to take care of this place. Um, and so there was a having of dominion. There was a, a place for, for their um, creative energies and who they were to be expressed. Um, and none of that was hindered by anything else. And so that is the place that we're trying to get back to so that everybody has that, that everyone knows that they're created in the image mm-hmm. of God, that everyone knows that they have a, a purpose and a place to thrive, that nobody is in, impinging on that. And so when we start to look at things like that, we, we look at every single s- system of human life, um, all the way from education to the economy, is it creating that sort of result or is it creating and is its goal something very different? Wow. I know we're supposed to be wrapping up here. Uh, I have a few more questions. Um, so well, why do you think we don't do that? You sort of touched on it earlier. Why don't we typically, many churches sort of 
see themselves as separate mm -hmm. from these systems, except in the case of certain hot topic issues. Right. Why do we do that? And what biblical foundations do you have to sort of persuade us to consider that perhaps we, we do need to engage with systems as believers? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would say the reason why we don't, I think, is partially because we don't think it's possible. Um, I think one of the things that um, the gospel gives us is an, an imagination for, for the better. Um, and too often we're satisfied with the good enough. Um, I think at, at this time we're being asked to, to open our eyes and look and see, you know, um, what is the thing that um, Jesus came to establish. And even Jesus came to a, a society that was expecting him to do certain things, to uh, become a military leader, to overthrow the Roman government. And it's just like, nope, that's not the way it's going to be. And so how often are our eyes as, as followers of Christ still focused on the things that um, we expect to be success in the society, or we, we think are good in the society, and we just want to sprinkle a little Christianity on top of that and say, okay, mm -hmm. we're going to do these exact same things, but we're going to do it in a Christian way. Um, that is not, Jesus came to establish an, an entirely new way of, of a, a, a new kingdom. And, and so that is the sort of goal we should be looking for, not is this okay? Is this good enough? But does it look like kingdom? So we have to believe that that's possible. And I would say 99% um, of us don't believe that that's possible. I would say I even have days where I don't believe that's possible uh, because looking around, uh, it doesn't seem like it is. You know, it doesn't. <laughs> Um, so I get it. Don't, don't think of me as just like this, this wild-eyed optimist who thinks everything is, is going to be great. I'm very acquainted with the reality, but then I'm also acquainted with, okay, what do we need to do about this? Um, what was the second part of your question? I lost it. Oh, well, um, I think you, you did answer. I said I had another okay. question, but I think you, you did answer. And then I, I guess I will wrap up with this. Um, I couldn't help but wonder. So a lot in my, my conversations about this, it's really easy to talk about the black and white divide. Sure. And I can imagine someone listening and, and thinking, why are white people being targeted? Um, and and I, of course, I don't believe that we are mm -hmm. um, targeting um, white people in, in general, but I do wonder if there's, um, how do we sort of talk about this as a problem mm -hmm. in the body globally um, versus just, a white black a black white thing so for example mm -hmm. I, i'm not familiar with all the other all the cultures that exist out there but i imagine that there are some tensions that exist in churches that are primarily one ethnic group versus another yes. um being yoruba i know um and going to nigerian church you know I, I imagine there are people who feel like oh we sing a lot of yoruba songs and not enough uh cameroonian songs or ivorian songs you know yeah. so things like that so I'm not even sure what exactly I want you to speak mm -hmm. to. Well, I know I want you to sort of, if you could speak to how to make sense of uh, the uniqueness of the white, the black white divide, but mm -hmm. also the greater issue of incorporating different ethnic groups within uh, a multi-ethnic, multiracial initiative. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. makes sense? Yeah, no, fantastic okay. question. Um, number one, I would say, and if you if you're upset about 
you know, us saying white folks, I'm not sure if you got this far, but if you did, thank you. (laughs) Um, And I just want to clarify that when we say white supremacy, we're not talking about white people. We're talking about a system um, that is global, that um, privileges um, people who uh, appear to be white at every uh, conceivable turn. And so that is the system that we want to do away with. Um, And we fully believe, uh, I'm speaking for you a bit here, but I know this, um, (laughs) that that white people are part of that too. It's not, we're enemies against each other. We are all enemies of any system that privileges one group of people above another. And so how do we get rid of that in our church and then in our society? Um, so, So that's the goal. And with that being the goal, we do have to be clear-eyed about the fact that that white supremacy has been a global phenomenon, that it doesn't just affect relationships between people in the U.S. context. It affects how um, people treat each other around the world. It, it affects our political systems around the world. I mean, we we saw in, in Ukraine just recently um, how some um, African uh, immigrants in Ukraine or, or, or even African people who lived in Ukraine were treated differently than the other refugees coming out of Ukraine. So that's another example of, of white supremacy, just in a very different place in the world. And so if we don't deal with that, we don't deal with any of this. And so that's why it, it's privileged and comes up in conversation. Um, but it does. Uh, but there are other ways that um, power and difference come into to view. Uh, I've in churches in Nigeria, I have seen conversations about how many Yoruba versus Igbo songs do we have uh, in this church uh, happening. And so that that is definitely a thing. And so I often say that we can use a lot of the same lessons, the same lessons that will help us do life together across racial groups, will help us do life together across tribal groups, will help us do life together across gender, will help us do life together across class. It's a lot of the same lessons about humility and centering the marginalized and laying ourselves down for each other and being one family and listening to each other. Um, if we do those things across any of those groups that involve differences in power, uh, we will start to get to a place where the church does look like one. And there's there's a lot of divides. So if the racial divide is not you know the place where you want to put your energy, put your energy someplace else. But put your energy someplace uh, because there's more than enough divides that are keeping us separate, even nom- even denominational divides. Um, but there's more than enough opportunity for us to come together as one. Right. Well, I thank you so much for answering some of these difficult questions and trying to wrestle with something that um, I guess we all have are needing to wrestle with. Um, as you said, it's we, we have the hope, we have to have hope that we can move towards this unity that Christ paid for. Um, but it, it's, it's going to take work. <laughs> it's going to take work. <laughs> individually is going to take work interpersonally and my hope for this this podcast is to convict us towards that to get us to think about Mm -hmm. okay where can I start my work um all people so thank you for joining me in this and um yeah I appreciate it thanks it's been a pleasure thank you for listening I hope this conversation inspired thoughts and move us toward God's heart for us to love one another as he has loved us May our light rise in the darkness and may healing reach our land.